Hey, everybody, this is Gene Marks, and thank you very much for joining me for another episode of Biz Books, where we talk to great and smart authors of business books so they can explain to me and to you um, what they're trying to get across in the books that they have written. And today, my special guest is Camille Fournier. Camille, I even forgot to ask you, even when we were talking before, it's Fournier, right? Am I pronouncing Fournier, it? Fournier, Fournier. actually. Okay. That's Fournier. The, the A is the only French part we've retained, but Fournier, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, should, I really should. I took French in high school. I should know that by now. All right. No problem. Fine. Camille's book is called The Manager's Path, A Guide for Tech Leaders Navigating Growth and Change. Uh, Camille's website is camilletalk.com. And Camille, before we like dive into the book, let me just ask you to share a little bit about yourself and how you came to writing this book 57 years ago, or actually not that long ago, but uh, tell us how you came to writing the book. Sure. Um, so I... I wrote the book because I was uh, the CTO of a startup called Rent the Runway. Yep. Um, and, you know, I had worked at big companies before my, my time at the startup um, and done a little bit of management and certainly experienced, you know, lots of managers at these big companies. And then you know, I went to the startup and ended up going through a very rapid growth of, you know, becoming a manager and a manager of managers and an executive and running and growing, a, uh, you know, a reasonably sized engineering team. Right. And, you know, at the time that I was going through that, there wasn't a lot of writing out there on engineering management specifically. There was some, you know, not, not, not nothing, right. but there wasn't a lot of material that I felt really spoke to not just like engineering management as an abstract concept, but the challenges that engineering managers face throughout these different phases of their career. And so, you know, when I, when I left that job um, in, uh, you know, 2015, late, late 2015, I decided that it would be, you know, it would be a good idea to write down all the things that I had learned. I had been blogging some before that. So I, you know, I had some something of an audience already. And I just felt like I had learned so much so quickly um, about all these different phases and, you know, leading people through these different phases of management growth that, you know, it would, it would be a good time for me to just get all these thoughts out of my head and, and onto paper and, and provide something that would help people really through different stages of their management career as engineers. So, yeah, you, I'm really glad that you're, you're not skirting the obvious, which is um, this book is really, it's, it's niche in the sense that it is, it's really, it's specifically for engineers, you know, and when you talk about engineers, I'm assuming you mean software engineers, correct? Like developers, like my, my, so, son, yes. my yes. son's a mechanical engineer, but so that would or would you not. Know, but the, I will have to say the surprising thing about this book is I've had a reasonable number of people that are not software engineers, including like lawyers, right. say, I read your book and I thought it was great. Right. <laughs> and I, that is a little surprising to me because to be honest, I agree with you that it was very much written. You know, I know software engineering. That is what I do. Yep. I don't know law. <laughs> I'm definitely not a lawyer. Right. Um, but I do think that, uh, you know, beyond the software engineering audience, I think for people who are leading others who do very sort of detailed knowledge work. I think there is an element of it that can be useful for that. Um, but it is very much, you know, I, 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 I 
very much wrote it for software engineers. I am confident it will be relevant for people in that career path. I can say less confidently that it will be relevant for others uh, outside of that. No, it does have relevance for people that are outside of the career path. But, you know, honestly, when you think about the, the huge audience of software engineers there are and developers around the world, um, it is, it's absolutely, you know, an audience that's in need um, of this kind of book. And let's also remember that, you know, as you know, because you manage these these people, um, they're technical people, you know, I mean, some of these people don't know how to use verbs, you know, but they're, <laughs> they're good at their jobs. And yet, to get a project done successfully, you need to have a good level of management skills. And um, mm -hmm. this is, you know, I think this book will, will definitely be at help. Okay, let's dive into a little bit, you, you have a whole chapter on mentoring. Um, tell us what is an alpha geek? <laughs> um, so an alpha geek is that really smart engineer who is extremely talented, very, very technically sharp, that just over focuses on that, that sort of their technical correctness and skill as a way of kind of establishing dominance over, over everyone else. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, they, they are a person who can often create a bad culture for those around them because they're so, you know, they, they're so, they, they act in such a dominant manner that they make it scary for people to make mistakes or ask questions. Um, about technical things because, you know, oh my gosh, you don't know that obvious thing that of course I know because I'm the smartest person on this team. Um, and they tend to be, you know, I have been this alpha geek actually. So, you know, I, I write this from a, from a place of personal experience that, you know, I think it's, uh, I think it's not that uncommon for some people to go through this phase or they're they're kind of an, a senior engineer. They're probably a newish senior engineer. They're probably not somebody with 20 plus years of experience, although I'm sure there are some of those out there. Sure. Um, but, you know, someone who is really smart, but maybe actually a little bit insecure about sharing the, you know, sharing with others the opportunity to do great things, right? They're, they're not, you know, they, they have to be the smartest person in the room. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I wrote about this character partly because I've been this character and I know that you can actually, you know, one can grow out of that, right? It is possible to mature through that. But as a manager and a leader, um, if you have one of these folks on your team and you aren't sort of coaching them out of that, it can be really detrimental to other people on the team because it really does create kind of an unsafe, psychologically unsafe culture where others, you know, just don't feel like they can speak up as much. They don't feel like they can have ideas or make mistakes. And that can be really bad for a team. So why include, uh, you know, the, your whole description and story about an alpha geek in a, in a chapter about mentoring? Um, you know, that's actually, why did I put it in that chapter? Hold on, <laughs> give me one second. I Let me remind some, myself. Sure. I have some thoughts as to why, because I, I, you know, the way I read the alpha geek is that, that that person, that personality can actually be a very good mentor to younger people. Um, and it's a way to get them to sort of jump off their high horse a little bit and uh, yes, that is. Em emphasize, empathize. Yes, that's right. <laughs> no, yes, I'm sorry for interrupting you. Um, yes, that's right. Now, now that I am 
now that I'm refreshing, like I said, yes. it's been a while. Yes. Um, you're right that like, I think mentoring. So sometimes an alpha geek by asking them to mentor others that can kind of help them develop a little bit of empathy for right. those who are early in their career. Sometimes it doesn't work out. So it is definitely a mixed bag of, you know, sometimes that is a great thing. And sometimes you need to do a little bit more than making them a mentor. But yes, you're, you're right. That is, that was my, uh, Yep. That was where I was going. <laughs> yeah, that was. And, and no, and I, and I thought it was a really good point. So, okay. So before we leave mentoring, because there's a whole bunch of other, you know, things that you cover in, in managing engineers, um, just, just your overall thoughts about the importance of mentoring an intern, mentoring a new hire. I mean, it's, uh, you know, what, you know, you know, how important is this? I mean, I think it's super important. I think, I think every engineer should try to do it um, because, even if you do not want to be a manager, you know, we need you senior engineers who don't want to manage to still be teaching others how to be great engineers. Right. Um, and, you know, it, software engineering in the modern world, by and large, is a team sport, right? We do it in groups. We do it in, you know, in groups that work together and developing those relationships with others, helping, you know, the next generation learn what you know. First, it's just really, frankly, it's good for your career, even if you do not want to ever be a manager. Those connections you make as a mentor, those people may go on to hire you someday, Agreed. right? Or at least, you know, it, you know, introduce you to a new company, introduce you to a new opportunity. Um, you know, I think we remember our mentors, especially the ones that we learned a lot from. And, you know, I have certainly, you know, bent over backwards in my time to, you know, do what I could for people that both that I frankly have mentored in the past and that mentored me because, you know, I just, I feel like you create such a good connection with someone when you have a good mentoring experience with them. And so I, I really do think it is beneficial to everyone, whether they want to be a manager or not to have some comfort and experience mentoring others. Perfect. That's perfect. All right, Camille. So let's keep moving on. Um, what is a tech lead? <laughs> And you mentioned this one weird trick that tech leads tend to have. And if you can remember, let's see what, what, what that You're, is. You have read my book more intro, more recently than I have. I did. So, I did. Uh, so I, oh yes, oh yes, okay. I do remember that. Okay. So first of all, like in my mind, a tech lead is the, not the most technical person on the team. So sometimes it is, but I think the, the one of the important distinctions that I try to make in this book and that I think is worth reiterating is that the tech lead job is a leadership job for the for a group of engineers working together. Um, but that doesn't mean that is the decider on all technical matters. Leadership of a group of engineers working together means a lot of things. It means, are we working on the right things together? Are we coordinating our work effectively? Um, a lot of project management skills, frankly, are fairly important for a tech lead to start to develop. And those are, again, very useful skills, whether you want to be a manager or not, knowing how to effectively lead a multi-person project, I just think is an incredibly useful skill for any engineer, manager, or individual contributor to develop. Um, and I think, you know, tech leads need to have pretty good communication skills, mm. right? They, they need to be able to balance thinking about the technical side of the work, writing code, designing things, 
with the slightly less hands-on, but still extremely important work of making sure the team is working well together, you know, communicating the what's going on with the team to the team, to others outside of the team, et cetera. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, and you know, it's funny, the the tech leads on any project you, you had mentioned, I, the ones that I've worked with in the past on development teams at different clients that I work with are, um, it's funny that you say they are not the most technical people that are there. They tend to have a little bit more management skills, more project management skills than actually technical skills, correct? I mean, I think it's, I definitely think it's a mix, you know, but I think, um, I do think that what you find is that um, there, you know, there's a, there's a depth versus breadth thing that we all have, right? So, you know, I think people like me who are senior managers, we tend to be fairly broad. Um, I actually happen to be broad in a deep area, which is I'm very much in a platform engineering function, which is my my passion to sort of back in distributed systems. So I know a lot about that, but I'm very broad, <laughs> you know, in that. Okay. Um, and I think that, you know, you, you see individual contributor engineers, some of them are just want to be very, very deep, right? They just want to be, they want to know every detail all the way down of the thing that they are working on or you know, some area, they want to be like the deepest compiler expert in the world, right? They want to be the deepest front end framework expert in the world, whatever, right? You know, and, and I think if I know, I think for folks like that, who just, they want to be extremely focused on a technical problem or a set of technical problems, they're probably not your best tech lead, because as a tech lead, you have to be able to pull out of that focus and, and have just a little bit of breadth, again, the breadth of what, the, what's going on for multiple people sure. in your area. Um, but, you know, so I think, you know, you can be a, you can be a very good engineer um, and be a tech lead, but you don't have to be the, you know, the depth expert. In fact, I think often the depth expert is maybe not the right person to be a tech lead uh, on a team because that person's really going to want to be spending their time just a hundred percent in those details. Makes sense. That makes sense. So listen, I mean, you know, you're, you're managing a team of people that have all sorts of different personalities and you can have interns and new hires. We talked about the alpha geek before we talked about tech lead, the pros, the cons, but there are other personality types that are part of this team. So let me throw out a few of these personality types that you mentioned in your book. And I just want to get your thoughts on them. Okay. Because we all deal with these people. You talked about a conflict avoider versus a conflict tamer, you know, um, give me your thoughts on those two types of personalities. Now they impact you when you're managing them. Yeah. I mean, conflict avoiders, and you see this both in, you know, employees and you see it in managers, frankly, which is a little bit worse. Um, you know, are those folks who just, they do not, you know, they want to make people happy. They really are afraid of, um, disappointing people or, you know, really having any kind of conflict in front of them just makes them very uncomfortable. And this, you know, this is a very common thing, right? You know, you, you, you had a bad, uh, you know, experience growing up with people, you know, fighting and you just want to make everybody happy, but, or, you know, you're just, whatever, this is just your personality. It's fine. Lots of people, you know, lots of people kind of naturally tend this way. Um, and that is, that's okay. Because certainly like the opposite side, which is people who seek out conflict, which is my natural personal tendency 
is equally bad, right? So you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to be a person who seeks out conflict any more than you want to be a person who always avoids conflict. Right. Um, but I think that it is important as, as a leader, certainly to realize that conflict is going to happen and avoiding conflict often just allows it to fester and cause problems for everyone. Sure. Um, and it's very frustrating as an engineer, when your manager, you know, when there are, you are having a disagreement with someone else on your team, for example, and you can't resolve it between the two of you. And it's, it's great when your team can resolve their own conflicts, right? You know, I do think managers are probably wise to try to encourage some self-resolution where mm -hmm. possible, but mm -hmm. that's not always possible. You know, sometimes someone is just being a bully to someone else and you as the manager have to step in, right? Sometimes two people just do not work well together and you have to either coach them through to help them work better together or figure out how to move them so that they don't have to work together, frankly, you know, but you, you can't just leave these conflicts um, unaddressed, you know, when there's a conflict between what your team wants to do and what another team wants to do. I think the worst is when you see a manager who just says yes to everything, <laughs> right? They don't want to say no to someone asking them to do something, right? Whether it's their boss or somebody else on another team, somebody important. So they just say yes, yes, yes. And the team sure. is like, but we don't, we can't do it. We can't get it done. You know, we, we don't have the bandwidth. What, I mean, what do you want us to do? But is this a matter? I mean, like you can, you can't really fix those people, right? I mean, people that are like conflict avoiders or, or people that actually look for conflict. And I'm kind of like you, Camille, I also look for conflict. Um, I, that's like sort of like, you know, I don't think that's going to change within a person. So is it just, is it more important as a manager just to be able to recognize the people that are the avoiders of conflict versus the people that seek it out and keep that in mind as you're managing them? Or are you actually saying so I do, change them? No, you know what I mean, I mean, look, I, I absolutely agree with you that like the, the, a good manager is certainly going to recognize it and know what they're working with. Right. Now I do think that there are people out there who just, don't even realize that about themselves. Right. And when it is brought to their attention, and especially if it's brought to their attention in a way that helps them see that it is having a negative impact on their team, on their career, mm -hmm. they will do something about it. I mean, so like I said, like I am, my, my personality is such that I, again, I'm, I'm, I don't mind conflict. Maybe right. I even seek it out. And sometimes, um, but I was given very clear feedback at some point in my in my time actually as this in the CTO role that I was creating a bit of a culture of fear mm. um, on my own team because mm. I was being a little bit too much of an alpha alpha geek. I was being right. a little bit, you know, I was being a little bit too much of a conflict seeker with my peers. And you know, and I was just creating a place where people didn't feel safe. And I took that feedback extremely seriously, personally. Right. You know, I just, I, you know, I frankly, I did not, I did, I, no one had said it to me that way ever. And when, when someone said it to me that way, I mean, it was, it was very hard to hear, but it was probably one of the turning points of my career because I was like, oh, that's mm. happening. I'm doing that. I can mm. work on that. And didn't, I did not fix it overnight, but you know, I am significantly better about that than I was five, six years ago, um, because I've spent five or six years plus more than that working on it um, to, you know, to kind of just be aware of that tendency and, you know, develop mechanisms for approaching things differently. And I do believe people can 
work on that. But I think you're also are correct that like a good manager also acknowledges that like you're working with who you're working with, right? You've yeah. got, yeah. you know, you've got the team that you've got. And sometimes people are eager to change when you, when they find these things out about themselves and they want to work on it. Sometimes people are just who they are and you want to put them in roles where they're going to be successful. But as you say in that same chapter, I mean, you, you know, good managers don't turn a blind eye to stuff like that. And clearly some manager of yours brought, you know, your, you know, your personality into, you know, so that you knew, do you know what I mean? Yep. Like, you know, Hey, Camille, this is something that you, you got to work on. So rather than like pretending it's not happening, even though they recognize it, somebody, you got to bring it to the attention of somebody working for you so they can look to improve themselves. And I guess if it's communicated in the right way, most people are open to taking, you know, advice and, um, you know, and, and doing a little bit better, you know? So, I think so. I think okay. so. Which brings me to some of the other people that you mentioned in your chapter. So I want to get your thoughts on them as well. You talk about the brilliant jerk <laughs> and like the brilliant jerk almost seems like an alpha geek to me. Um, but I was kind of curious because we all know the, the the brilliant jerks that we have in our groups. I'm kind of curious. I mean, listen, this is like your expertise. How do you handle somebody like that? Oh, besides killing one, them. This, yeah. I mean, this one is this one is really hard because you really do. Um, you know, I I have certainly seen managers refuse to deal with brilliant jerks, um, and their teams just suffer and suffer yeah. and suffer because they're like the, they're like the alpha geek who never got, you know, never got that feedback in the right time. And even, you know, sometimes actually amusingly, the brilliant jerk sometimes will be great, a great mentor to certain types of people, but they still just create this kind of, terrorist culture yeah. around them um that is very it's it's tough it is you know don't you find that when you uh sometimes i've come across people like that in my life sometimes um it almost if you if you you bring it right out and really and say like listen dude you are brilliant but you're also kind of a dickhead so you know we need to work on that and a lot of times um if it's if the timing is right and it's said in a certain way you know I, i've also found like saying like, yeah all right, you know you know i mean you are you're complimenting that person by saying like oh, we respect how smart that you are um but you know obviously you got to work on certain other things um by doing that isn't that, i mean that that seems to be a decent way of just by bringing it out you know i i actually agree i think and it's you know it's funny to me though that like i think a lot of managers are terrified of losing their brilliant jerks and they just will not give them feedback because I think that the one of the real challenges with the brilliant jerk is you get addicted to the things that they're good at sure. and they often become like a single point of failure they're the only person that really knows how the system works they're sure. the only one who can do things x y or z way and you know and managers just use that as a crutch very often I've seen this, this is a really very common repeated pattern that I've seen. And, you know, my experience is that, frankly, if you let that go and don't deal with it, mm. you're, it that, you're just going to have ongoing problems. The team is never going to really evolve to be a very healthy team. You know, you're still going to limp along because right. look, you've got this great person that's probably like individually very strong and getting things done. But Frankly, if they, you know, if they don't change, 
Um, and you, you know, if you get, you know, if you're willing to actually deal with the situation and you give them the feedback, sometimes they will change. Sometimes right. they won't change. Um, sometimes you need to get, you know, move them out. They need to go somewhere else. You know, they need to work for someone they're going to listen to and actually get this feedback from, or your team is not the right team. But I will say pretty much every time I've seen a team have to go to the point where they moved out a brilliant jerk, right? The team has been so much healthier for that action right. after a couple of months. I mean, it's just, it is, it, I think people really underestimate the damage that the brilliant jerk can do on a team. Right. It's funny, as we're talking about all this, it's like an episode of Silicon Valley, you know, from HBO. Like, True. So, okay. So along with that, you also talk about the non-communicator you know, right? so like, you know, the genius person that's just, you know, super technical, but like just cannot, you know, express themselves, which to me almost describes every single person you would find on a development team. Um, but that's just my, my flawed view of this. <laughs> Tell me about the non-communicator. Like, you know, who is that person? How do you deal with a person like that? Um, yeah. I mean, look, you know, you've got the person who like, they just, they live in their own head. They're, you know, they're, they just want to be like heads down working on what they're working on. They view either they, you know, they view like giving status updates is almost a, um, you know, as almost a, uh, like an insult, you know, to yeah. their, to their, to their brilliance. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, I'll be honest, I don't remember what I wrote in the book about this, but I've certainly worked with plenty of these people in the yeah. interim. And, and what I would say, you know, the advice I would give now for, for non-communicators is like, you know, I think one of the, one of the things that new, new-ish managers, new to sort of middle career managers, really, you've got to learn how to make the, the most lightweight process that still keeps you in the loop about what's going on in the team. Right. And I think sometimes people like, make non-communicators dig their heels in more because they just create more and more process that they throw on those folks. And it's like, they already don't want to be interrupted. They don't really want to like tell you what they're working on, partly because like, you know, they're, they're worried that you're going to like, you know, criticize, give them more work, criticize, yeah. give them more work, tell them to work <laughs> on something else that they don't want to work on. Right. And so you kind of have to like build some trust up with those folks that you're not trying to like, you know, like help them understand why you want them to do what you want them to do really be very lightweight as much as possible in the process that you ask them to go through, right. um, you know, possibly like pair them with others, depending on, you know, depending on the team that you have around you so that they, maybe if you pair them with someone who's a little bit better at communicating, you know, they, they will feel better in a sort of smaller, you know, smaller interactions and that better communicator can kind of help fill that gap. Also, if you take that person out and get them pretty drunk, they tend to like open up and talk. <laughs> so, that's usually that's as well. Um, that, that's then there's the, the last one before I move all this, only because these are fascinating personality types is the, um, the person who doesn't give you any respect, you know, and, you know, I mean, and, and I have to say, let's talk about this. So like, you know, we all walk or I walk around, we all do with imposter syndrome, you know, we all, right. I mean, like we all, you know, we're supposed to be managers. We're supposed to be good at what we do or whatever. I mean, what we're thinking to ourselves, you know, in our head saying like, uh, I, I really don't even know what the fuck I'm talking about, but okay. Yeah. Here we go. <laughs> and then you've got the person in the group 
that is kind of calling you out a little bit on that or not showing you the respect, you know, that, you know, that you want. And it, you know, and it, it it's like a challenge to your self-confidence. And of course, obviously to your leadership, what do you do? What do you do if that kind of person's in your group? Oh, <laughs> so, you know, look, I, um, I mean, I think you have to, you have to nip that in the bud. Right. Um, I think you have to nip that in the bud less about yourself. So I actually like, you know, I, I, I try to create a culture where on the one hand, people respect me. And on the other hand, they understand that I know that I certainly do not know all of the details of everything that's going on. Cause there's no way I could. Right. So that it's, you know, it's okay. Like for them to correct me and tell me that I'm wrong about things because I want them to do that. Right. I, I do, I don't, I don't understand that, but that it is, but that we have to respect one another because the problem with someone that doesn't, that acts disrespectful to, to you is that they're probably acting disrespectful to other people on the team. Right. You know, they're, they're probably, you know, the thing that they don't respect in you, they probably also don't respect in, in some other people, right? Like, Oh, you know, you're not tech, not technical enough is definitely like the, a code word that I've heard people use for all kinds of underlying biases and, and, you know, and, (laughs) and, and just, you know, silly things. And it's like, you know, I think a lot of times what those people actually, you know, actually mean is they don't, you know, you, you are not just like a cloned version of them, but, but more senior, you are a different person. You have different skills or your manager Frankly, you know, a manager has different skills than a really good senior IC. And some senior ICs don't totally get that. Like, if, you know, a manager who was just a really great senior IC is actually a pretty terrible manager. Yeah. I've had that manager. So I know that because, you know, I, I also at some point in my life thought the best managers would all be, you know, these extremely, extremely technical people. And what I learned at some point having one of those extremely, extremely technical managers was that. Oh, this person is just not a very good, like I said, like I like working with this person. I enjoy, I think this person is super smart, but they're really bad at all that management stuff. And that's holding my career back sure, because they can't get me promoted. They can't get me good projects. They like, you know, it doesn't matter that we can talk tech and it's super fun. They can't help me do what I need to do. And this is actually a problem. So, I, you know, I think when you've got someone who is being disrespectful, I really do think it is, you know, if they're being disrespectful to you, they're being disrespectful to others. Yeah. Um, and it's not okay. And, you know, I, you, I think you owe it to yourself and to your team to, you know, talk to that person privately at, at, at start and say, hey, like, you know, I want us to work well together, but I need you to, you know, I need you to, you know, be thoughtful about the way we, you know, we, we talk and interact. And frankly, if they keep it up at some point that becomes a public, you know, correction of like, you know, I don't appreciate you talking to me this way. I don't appreciate, you know, this is, this is not, you know, like you, you just gotta, you just gotta be willing to, you know, you've gotta be willing to address it. Right. This is where being a conflict avoidant manager can be really bad. It can be really because... tough for those kinds of people. It's funny. Cause I, I, I feel very, maybe it's my generation, you know, how my age, but I get very military about it. I mean, I've seen so many people, this situation happens when 
um, a manager takes over an existing group, maybe from an existing manager, like the manager left or, you know, you went to another area of the company, got a new manager coming in and maybe that existing group really liked the old manager. So now there's like the new person in town, you know? Um, And I've been in that situation a couple of times myself, and it always seems to happen just organically that the people that show no respect ultimately leave, you know, sometimes it's, they're, they're, they're asked to leave if it gets that extreme, but a lot of times it's because they're not happy in their jobs, you know, and they, they find another place. I think it's important if you're a manager, you've got to have your own team. I don't want to say you want to have a bunch of yes men around you, but you need to have people that respect the fact that you're the boss. Um, I, I, I completely agree. Yeah. Otherwise just stuff just doesn't get done. So speaking of stuff getting done, you were talking about, you know, managing, you know, multiple teams as well. One thing that I, I really um, enjoyed, you were, you were talking about strategies on getting people to get along, move things along. You were talking about um, strategies for saying no, strategies for saying yes. One of the things you talked about, you mentioned, which I really, really liked is when you say to somebody, when somebody wants you to do something and you might not agree your response, one of the suggested responses, help me say yes. You know, um, tell me a little bit about that phrase. Like, do you do that a lot? Like if I come to you and I'm like, Hey, Camille, this would be really great. You know, but you're like, uh, this is not going to work. You know, do you, would you turn around to me? It's like, all right, Gene, you know, I'm, you know, I'm willing to give you a shot, but help me say yes. What? Do I yeah. I mean, I don't think I would, I, I probably at this point wouldn't use exactly that phrasing, but it is that, that but that is the, that's the underlying thing where it's like, so I think what I, what I find is like when I, when someone comes to me and they want something and my immediate gut reaction is absolutely not, yeah. this is ridiculous. And I, you know, and again, I am, you know, this is my personality, right? As you said, like, I'm a little bit more of conflict seeking. I'm a little, I'm a debater. You know, I yeah. have that like immediate, like gut, gut you know, desire to debate. Right. And so I've had to like learn techniques to move away from that gut desire. Um, and so, you know, I think that, that now what I, what I try to do is when someone comes to me with something and it sounds like a bad idea, I do try to, I, you know, I try to learn more from them and give them the context of like what I'm thinking about why I think this may or may not work so that in some sense, this is like a help me say yes, right? It's like, how can we create a win-win out of this situation, given the state of affairs where I am, what it is you need? Like, how can we, how can you shrink what you're asking for from me or, you know, align it with something that my organization is already doing so that it's like an easy piggyback so that we can get to that yes. Um, so I do think that like, you know, again, I do, but I think in general, yes, like help me say yes. When someone comes to you with something and your gut says no, but this is a person that is important for you to like, like a lot of management is politics mm-hmm. at, you know, it's, it's political. Mm-hmm. You need to, you need to make sure that your peers, your manager, your senior people around you, like you're not just always saying no to them. You can't always say no to everyone. So you, sure. you, and you need to be seen as someone who is reasonably collaborative and willing to, you know, willing to adjust your schedule depending on different needs of the business, different needs of, you know, uh, you know, different demands, different new information. Okay. Um, so I think help me say yes, you know, 
gives you like get put, helps put them in your shoes. Yep. Right. It does. Um, that's, which is always, always important, but also like, you know, it's good to have techniques for, for, for not just knee jerking to know when right. you're, uh, when you're faced with something that you're just like this, you know, this is, you know, when you're faced with a request from someone who is important and you shouldn't just blow off, but also your gut is just like, Oh, no way. <laughs> no, that makes sense. That makes complete sense. Um, Listen, I want to make sure that we keep track of our time here. And you, you, there are so many other questions I want to ask you about this book, but I, I just have a couple more. Um, one is about hiring. Now, listen, you wrote this book a few years ago, so um, times have changed a little bit. And I'm going to ask you about that, it, you know, yeah. coming up. But, but so just put aside whatever you wrote in the book, right? Like right now, today, it's March of 2022. You've hired, you know, plenty of people in your life. Um, so if, when you're interviewing now, when you're looking for a manager for your business, Give us some of your thoughts. What, what are you looking yes. for? Yes. Um, so this is something that I have evolved a lot. And actually, this is probably one of the areas of the book that I would probably rewrite if I was writing it today. Yep. Um, so I, I do have a pretty, like I have a set of questions and areas and competencies that I have developed with my team because I have some really great managers working for me right now. That are, you know, some of them are better than I am at certain things. So like, you know, working with those people. Yes, exactly. Right. right. Um, So working with those people, you know, we have developed kind of a set of competencies that we think are really important for managers to have. And there are things like, you know, knowing project execution, dealing with, you know, dealing with certain kinds of employee situations, good and bad, right? Dealing with high performers, dealing with low performers. Um you know, working with product managers, I think is a, is an important skill for most managers in tech right. these days. Um, you know, and having a product, having a product mindset, right. Knowing how to collaborate with partners, uh, outside of your team to, you know, again, when do you say no, when do you say, help me get to yes. Right. How do you, you know, how do you kind of manage conflicting goals? Um, you know, depending on the level, how do you set strategy for your team? Right. And then, you know, various sort of cultural questions to make sure that, you know, different companies have different cultures and you, you know, you want to make sure people are culturally aligned, a culture ad in some ways, but like, you know, not a, not so far off that they're just, it's going to not, you know, it's going to be bad for everyone involved. Um, So I, I do think though, that like having a structure for interviewing managers where you take the time to think about what are the management skills I want a person to be able to show that they have. And, and so, you know, in the book, I think I talk about a few different things like creating sort of um, almost like role-playing scenarios and having possibly even having like direct reports to interview a manager. I role-playing scenarios you could do. I think it's just a lot of work to be Mm -hmm. honest. And so I haven't, you know, I haven't ever really managed to get that off the ground. And I actually, at this point, think that probably having direct reports to interview a manager is not a good idea Mm -hmm. for many, for many reasons. I actually just think it's very hard to evaluate people who are a senior to you because you've never done that job. So unless you are talking about very senior levels where the direct reports are already very established professionals, like it's just really hard to, to evaluate people who have done jobs that you haven't really done. Sure. Is, is my, you know, at, especially at more senior levels. Um, 
but I, I very much advise decide, you know, decide what you're going to ask, you know, get your group of interviewers to know which competencies they should be looking for. Ask people about specific examples from their career where things have happened. Take notes. I think one benefit of um, remote interviewing, if nothing else, is that, you know, you do have the computer in front of you. And it's, you know, I would say, like, write up the questions you're going to ask and take notes, take a take a running dock of notes that is as close as possible kind of to what they're saying to at least allow you to calibrate multiple candidates against one another for your own self. Right. And say like, so, you know, I think a, a, all interviewing sort of um, falls victim to this, but sometimes it's easy to be like, I really like that person and miss that. Like, but they just did not have a, they actually don't know anything about, you know uh, you know, hiring, frankly, hiring and maintaining a diverse group of employees, which is another thing that I think is important, right? Making sure you're at least thinking about that in the modern era is, you know, many companies care about that, right? So, you know, but they, you know, some people you ask them that question, you're like, I love this person, but like, they just clearly have no interest in that. (laughs) They won't, they don't even have a, I've never done it, but here are some thoughts on it answer. They just don't have an answer at all. Right. And there's, you know, it's so I do think that like keeping that running note of running, running doc of notes and making sure the competencies that you're looking for in a manager. Um, But you've got to you've got to interview them, because I think I've made the mistake I've made occasionally in the past um, is not to really kind of thoroughly vet that someone who is a like good people person and a good engineer also like actually is good at, you know, next level management skills, for example, mm-hmm. right? Managing, man- managing an abstraction. Um, and that can cause a lot of problems when you hire someone who's otherwise great in many ways, but maybe not the right person to be a manager of managers. Yeah, management is a, uh, it's, it's magic in a way. It's this high level skill. Um, and I always say like, you know, I mean, that's why the people that are senior managers, CEOs of companies, why they make the big bucks, is because they have that skill to be able to manage. I remember reading Jack Welch's book years ago when he was working his way up at GE and, and was saying how, you know, all he would do is he would go from, from location to location and look at the workforce and be like, all right, that person would be better working here. This person we should fire, this person, you know, whatever. It's like this innate ability to, to read the capabilities of other people, you know? Um, yep. I don't think that's something that's taught, you know? And, and I guess, you know, it's just something that you just, you have to have sort of like a sixth sense for as well as to whether or not you think this person is going to have the skill set to do what they yeah. do. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's true. Um, all right. Final question is, is you know, where this is all going. And and when I, when I talk about where this is all going, you know, we were, we were talking even before we got started, I started recording this, how, you know, you, you wrote this book back in 2015, 2016. I mean, that's like a long time ago. That's like seven long, you know, you know, you know, if you, if you, and if you figure COVID into it, that's the equivalent of 70 years, you know, I mean, right. It's all like it. Yeah. Things have changed a lot. So um, if, if you were you know, looking forward, you know, what has changed about managing technical people, you know, engineers, software developers that, uh, you know, going forward, you're like, all right, we, we need to take a different approach. What has changed in doing all that? Well, I mean, I think a lot of the basics are still there, but I think that some things have changed. One big thing that has changed is people, and I slightly blame myself for this, but I do feel like there is a lot more focus for both managers, but also individual contributors on their career path. 
okay. and on career progression. And I think you see a huge amount of desire from people to know how can I get promoted? And this could just be, you know, like I said, I think, you know, one, one of the things I did at Rent the Runway was publishing our career ladders and you know, and this book is written sort of to a career ladder, right? It's right. a little bit written to like the different levels of management that that you might get promoted into. And I think that, um, you know, managers have always been somewhat aware of this, but I think that individual contributors now are also extremely aware of this. And they, you know, they expect that you're not just going to have to go into management to get promoted, which is good because you definitely do not want to force people to go into management to be promoted, but that, you know, it's, it is less clear, I think still almost everywhere, how to get promoted as an individual contributor. It's just, you know, it's, it's a little bit trickier. Nobody's quite cracked that nut. And I think that's a big, you know, but the expectation is much higher now than it was even when I wrote the book that there will be some path that goes beyond senior engineer. Um, And so I do think that's an area that managers, you know, really need to need to um, engage with, because if you can't figure out how to, frankly, like give authority away from your managers and to your senior individual contributors in certain places, you're going to struggle to main to retain the great people. Um, And so that is, I think, a big, a big area of change. I also think that, look, I think product management as a field has become more, um, more prominent and is, is exists at more companies, which means Mm -hmm. that engineering managers need to really learn how to work with product managers, frankly, need how to need to have a bit of a product mindset themselves. Sure. that is always a bit of a stressful um, relationship, I think, in many, many places. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I do think that that's a big, a big change. You know, I also think that like the one of the things that when people ask me, like, how, what should managers keep learning? You know, it's like, because, you know, look, you don't really need to keep learning like new programming languages. You can if you want. That's, you know, but, you know, how, how do you kind of stay technically aware? What are the things you should learn as a manager, and I always say, like the ways of working, the ways, the major major shifts in the way software engineering happens, yeah. are are very important to learn. So I do think, look, like you know what, you know, I think a lot of the work around like, uh, you know, the accelerate metrics. If you've read that book, um, you know, it's a it's a great book that talks about like how do high performing engineering teams, like what are some of the metrics around you know, how often do they deliver and how do they think about reliability of their systems? I actually think that's a big change in software engineering over the last five to 10 years that a lot of managers like just don't, you know, they have not really internalized. I need to be thinking about how to keep my team actually like moving fast. And that some of the things that I as a manager do and need to understand kind of technically are, because I'm going to need to invest in them. I'm going to need to make, justify the investment case for, you know, working on technical things that will keep my team moving fast to businesses that may just want features developed, for example. Um, so, you know, I think these are a few things. And, you know, look, obviously there's this whole 
remote hybrid question mark situation that we are in right now. Mm -hmm. I don't have enough of a, I don't, I don't have enough of a, of a read on what that really means yet, even though it's been two years, um, even though, you know, you know, I, I've learned some things about how to be a manage remotely. Um, you know, I've learned some things about what works and what doesn't. I just think, I think it's too early to mm. actually say where this will all settle out. Mm. And I think people are very willing to make very strong proclamations that I'm, I'm not sure. The only thing that I feel reasonably confident in is that like many more companies will be much more flexible about five days in the office a week. I think that's certainly true. Right. Which is probably good that, you know, nobody ever, you know, I like going to the office. So I do go in, you know, most, almost, almost all the time. But like, that was always a, I like going to the office and getting out of my house. I live in a Manhattan apartment, you know, kind of thing. Um, So I, but you know, beyond that and like, Oh, are all teams going to be asynchronous remote global teams or, you know, I just don't know. And I, and I, I think anybody claiming that they really know at this point, uh, is probably a little overconfident. Camille Fournier is the author of The Manager's Path, a guide for tech leaders navigating growth and change. Her website is camilletalk.com. Camille, it's great. I, I had even more questions to ask you, but we just have to be sensitive to your time. And I appreciate you spending the time. Thank you so much. Thank you. Guys, For uh, please keep uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel and come visit us back for our twice monthly biz books episodes where we talk with great business authors who wrote great business books like Camille. So please join us there. You can follow me on Twitter at Gene Marks. Thank you very much for watching and we will see you again next time. Take care.